You're listening to Your Credit Today with Angela setters Bassard, the real credit queen. It's time to get your creditation on. Tune in, invite your friends and coworkers as we share industry tips, stories, and wealth-building strategies. This is A to the N to the G. Let's go. Before I want to not forget, please subscribe to this show. You need to know all this information about your credit wellness. But let's get let's get ready to rumble with my guest. And I kind of want to just break down really what I think about him. He is so creative. Good morning, Rodney. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> so if you don't mind, I'm just going to say a little bit about you. Is that okay? That is fine. I don't want you to blush, though. No, no. It's too early for me to blush. (laughs) Well, guys, creative is an understatement when it comes to my next guest. When God gives you a gift, you run with it like the wind. And this man has truly tapped the sun when we talk about creative writing and producing. He writes funny, serious, fantasy, and comics for all ages. But that's not where it stops. He's a super giver, a dad, an entrepreneur, funny as heck, super connected, and one of the kindest humans I have the pleasure to know. His class, kindness, and never quit attitude are what I admire the most. He is sharp, a game changer in the screenwriter's world, and what I always say is the true meaning of a conqueror and friend. Ladies and gentlemen, kids of all ages, please welcome my friend, Rodney Barnes. Now, peeps, I just want to share something with you. This is a really short bio as the internet literally blows up when you Google his name. So please make sure to do your research about Rodney. So Rodney Barnes is an American screenwriter and producer. Barnes has written and produced The Boondocks, totally funny show. My Wife and Kids, Everybody Hates Chris, Those Who Can't, Marvel's Runways, American Gods, Wu-Tang, and American Saga, and is currently an executive producer writer on HBO's Untitled Los Angeles Lakers drama. He has also earned top honors for his work from Peabody Awards, American Film Institute, Writers Guild of America, BET Comedy Awards, and NAACP Image Awards. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, please welcome Rodney Barnes. (laughs) There's no way I can live up to any of that, uh, that intro. There's no way, but thank you. <laughs> of course you can. Of course you can. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You have been such an amazing guy and such an amazing friend. And I'm so honored to know you. So let's get after our questions this morning. Now, Mr. Barnes, this is a show where we educate people and build leaders, teach our youth and create strong, strong brands. Most of all, learn from everything that we grow through. And I always say, yes, grow through. We all start somewhere, financially, career, and family. And we all have a story that speaks volumes to those that admire us like so many do of you. So let's talk. So Rodney, what inspired you to take on the world of writing? Uh, I always had a relationship with stories, words. Uh, I'm an only child, even though I have a lot of half brothers and sisters. And 
I spent a lot of time in movie theaters and in front of a TV and, and back doing when there were only three channels of television. Um, oh my gosh, really? That's yes. so cool. And so I started to absorb, I didn't know that I was actually going to film school as a kid, but I absorbed stories in a different way. When I went to the movies, I would watch them over and over and over again. Nobody wanted to go to the movies with me because I wouldn't leave. And it sort of just became a part of my life. You know, stories were like friends. And I had a teacher when I was in the eighth grade who said that if I ever uh, worked as hard as being a writer as I did as being a class clown, one day I could be a good writer. Mm. And it stuck in the back of my head. Uh, whenever anybody asked me what I wanted to be as a kid, I would say a writer based upon this teacher's uh, sort of planting the seed in me. And circumstances in life, I had a plan that sort of went sideways. And a friend of mine said, if you could do anything with your life, I was probably 24, 25 years old. If you could do anything with your life, what would it be? I said, I would write movies and TV shows. And I'm from Annapolis, Maryland, um, which, which is as far away from Hollywood as you could possibly be. <laughs> and I was working on a as a production assistant uh, on movies and TV shows back during my area, because a lot of movies from the West come there to do like shots of the White House and different glamour shots. And I met Damon Wayans and on a movie, Major Pain. And oh my he, gosh, I remember that movie. <laughs> he sort of encouraged me to, um, you know, if you want to be a writer, you got to come to Hollywood. So I packed up my things. I lived in my car for about a year and I slowly but surely started to put things together and um, things worked out. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. You know, it's funny. You kind of um, remind me of my son because he does the same thing with movies. He also does something that we've always thought was a little strange, but now it just always makes sense is that he would repeat what he would hear at the movie. Like when we would get in the car, he would start repeating what what the actors would say. And we'd be like, why are you doing that? But he literally would retain information that was funny or compelling. So that's amazing to hear that. Well, thank you for that. Tell us about a pivotal point in your life, like that aha moment. It kind of sounds like you told us, like when you met Damon Wayans. Well, there were a couple of them. I mean, I think uh, in regards to what I'm doing now, because if you look at my career, it's two halves of a whole. First part of my career was comedy. And that door sort of opened and I walked in, but I never really wanted to be a comedy writer per se. I never saw myself as that, but that door opened first. And mm. around 2012, I had a really, 2010 to 2012, I had a really bad period of my life. And a gentleman by the name of Devon Franklin, uh, he was an executive and a pastor, uh, came to see me in the hospital when I got sick, got really, really sick. And he encouraged me to work from my heart instead of my head. Mm. And I was, I think I'd been in the hospital on and off for about four months. And I promised myself if I was able to get out of the hospital that I would begin to write from a different place. Mm. And I still write comedy within um, the stories that I tell, but I try to um, I try to put some layering in there. There's heart. There's a lot of different dimensions and a lot of different things that 
earlier in my career, I really worked off of one muscle and now it's sort of different entry points into story. And I tell the types of stories that I always wanted to tell. And the thing with comic books as well, I always wanted, I've loved comic books my entire life, but I took my shot uh, writing one for Marvel and that led to starting a publishing company and doing my own books. Um, But all of that came from, again, writing from my heart instead of my head. And I think there's a different level of satisfaction that comes from my work than just making money. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love to hear that because I think that that is so true. When we work with our total self, you know, our tripart being that we were created to be, and specifically like that pastor encouraged you to do was to speak from your heart, all the things, all those things you said that you dreamed about when you were a little boy, man, that was so important. And wow, that is really pivotal. I I love that story. And I love the fact that you're you're working from your heart and look at all the doors that opened for you Mm -hmm. once you did that. And once those two met, you know, of course your creative mind, but also your heart is uh, so important in all that we do. So, wow, thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us your why in life and like what keeps you motivated? Because man, I mean, you are left, right here. I mean, you're doing things all day long, every day, seven days a week. You are just working your patushkis off. I think two things. The first thing would be, I figured out a way to kind of deal with my own personal anxiety is if I can place anxiety, I was told by my therapist, is trying to control the future to a Mm. degree. It's like you're trying to anticipate what's to come, which we can never do. So I try to keep my mind occupied so that I don't have time to just sit and fret and worry and, you know, do those things. To me, if I can create some actionable movement in my life, uh, I tend to calm down a little bit. And Mm. Writing, I'm looking at my wall where I have all the various projects. It it looks like a a serial killer's wall of all these (laughs) crazy things. But if I can keep my mind occupied on something and I always have something to look forward to, it's different than controlling anxiety. It's more of having something to look forward to. So there's a degree of optimism in it. Because if this doesn't work out, one of the things about working in Hollywood is You could have 20 projects and 18 of them fall through. 20 of them could fall through. So for me, I learned early on that if I have a number of things going on at one time, I always, if one falls off, I still have something keeping me moving forward. The law of average, basically. Yes. You're you're constantly going. And, And that's amazing because what you're also saying is that you know you get to check a box. So every time you finish something you're working on completion, whether it goes through or not. Yes. It's always that. And I work in an industry that's either feast or famine. Mm. So uh, a lawyer told me, my lawyer told me a while ago that if you can create seven different revenue streams um, to always have other things, that's why I started the publishing company because there have been periods, and I've been fortunate. I mean, I've been working pretty consistently for my entire career, but there were periods where there was nothing, certainly when I got sick. And I had to learn to do award shows or um, commercials or different things when all I'd known when I came in was working on sitcoms and Mm. being able to develop the ability to 
look at these other things as just storytelling, but in a different way. It opened up doors that, you know, again, keep me moving, relevant, active, mentally and emotionally. And I'm not just relying on one path. And if that path, you know, if there's an obstacle in that path, what do you do? I've figured out that if I can just keep other avenues open, things tend to be more healthy. That's really good. And I, I, I love that you're saying that because for the younger generation, specifically right now, they do put their eggs in one basket. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is, is that you have to have several eggs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think the nature of what this business is, you know, back when I was talking about having three channels, you've got 500 now because of uh, if you include streaming and right. Hulu and cable and all of these different places where not only you can work, but you can sell your wares. Um, I think being able to capitalize on the period of time, and you have the internet as well, where you can create your own things and your own little businesses, you know, on people who have web series and just different things that different avenues and different ways to survive. If you can exploit those, you know, I know my kids are so tech savvy with the computer and different yeah. things that instead of just consuming it as entertainment, there are ways that you can monetize it and be creative at the same time. And Absolutely. not necessarily just look to a studio or a network. When I broke in, there's so many other places that you can go and, you know, develop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I guess that leads me into my next question, which is, what was the best advice you ever received from someone? And how has that helped you with your career and investing in your future? Well, I think I have to go back to the work with your heart thing that I said earlier, I, I found that to be multifaceted as far as not just with my work, but with my life in general, when it comes to investing, when it comes to decision making um, for a long time, because I was operating from a fear based sort of uh, thought process, I operated from my head. I made most of my decisions without a lot of faith involved that there would be a better something good that was coming. I always sort of tried, it was in defense mode constantly. But I think when you think from a place of intuitively, it's not the mm -hmm. easiest thing to do. Certainly it isn't easy for me as well. But when you think from your heart, when you think intrinsically, I think you're able to um, manifest certain things in your life, personally, professionally, spiritually, that you wouldn't have if you just operate from one way of thinking. You have to be open to things sometimes that are uncomfortable, information sometimes that is uncomfortable. I think if there's any key to things working out for me in life when they've gone south, I think self-awareness, you know, I've always been able to, if someone were to say something to me that I didn't necessarily want to hear, but intuitively I knew it was true, I would accept it. And I know some people who reject that, you know, mm. who don't want, they see that as negative or criticism or whatever. I think I've been able to take it and try to work on some of my, my shortcomings. And that's really good. My therapist has a saying, everybody's flawed, but there are two types of people. There's one person who defines themselves by their flaws. And then there are other people who work on their flaws. And yes try to improve them. I want to be in that category. I think I started off in the other category. Um, this is just me. <laughs> and, but over time, when you're humbled by life, I think that you're more apt to, you know, 
if humility is sort of the bridge to being a better person, um, mm -hmm. I try to subscribe to that. Absolutely. Well, I can one attest to that, that you definitely are that person. And you know, what you're talking about or what you're saying, my husband, who's actually a pastor, he always tells people that when people are talking to you, if you can look at it as just information, mm -hmm. you know, no one wakes up in the morning and says, Hey, I want to piss Rodney off, or I want to piss Angela off. You know, no right. one really wakes up and does that. So, you know, it's really about everyone's come from. But mm -hmm. if you have a go-to, which is understanding that, you know, like you said, you lead with your heart and you work with grace and mercy in your life, then you can always look at things, whatever's coming to you as just information and you can pick it apart and you can say, you know what, this I'm going to throw over here and this I'm going to receive as information and something that I need to do to change. And, you know, I've always been like that also. I always believe that I've never arrived, that I'm always in a learning place. I try to tell the young people that I mentor and, you know, my staff that look, you know, at the end of the day, we're constantly in a learning place and you can't get offended by what people say, just mm -hmm. take it as information. So that's, that's amazing. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. Well, that um, segues us into you and the best advice that you have given to someone. The best advice I've given to someone, I think, um, be honest with yourself. I mean, I think I meet because you, I work in Hollywood, you meet a lot of people who want a lot of things. And more often than not, the thing that you want may not be the thing that's best for you. Mm. That's not for me to say, but I think oftentimes your want, if your want doesn't align up with your aptitude, that can create a lot of heartache. Mm -hmm. And knowing yourself, being honest with yourself about that, because sometimes I think ego can take over and start to think for you. And sometimes the thing that you may want actually may be blocking you to the thing that's really best for you. And so I think that's probably best because, like I said, I talk to a lot of writers and I look, talk to a lot of folks who want to be you know, actors, directors, producers, whatever. And sometimes the person that wants to be a director because they think they have an idea of what a director is might be a better producer you know, mm -hmm. or a person who wants to be a writer may make a better actor, or sometimes it's perfect and spot on. The thing that you want is exactly in alignment with you. You only really know that if you get to know you and mm. you get to know the thing that you want and what those two things require, if they're equally yoked, I think to me, that creates the best path for peace in life. Absolutely. I like that word you used, equally yoked. That's really, really important stuff. Sometimes my yoke is all over the place. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you're a, an over easy oh, egg. <laughs> sometimes I'm an omelet. Sometimes it's scrambled. Sometimes it's, just, you know, it's running off the table. It's a lot of different yokes, but I try that's to okay. find, try to equalize them. That's the that's goal. Right. That's okay. But that's your truth. So I love it. I love it. Well, now we segue into the last little part of our show, and that's talking about some of the interaction that you and I have had from a professional level. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I want you to tell me one thing you didn't know about credit that you now know and why you see it as valuable in your personal life. Patience. I think, <laughs> I think. Yes. 
the biggest thing is full disclosure. I went through a really rough divorce and it wiped me out financially, but it devastated my credit. And I had taken pride for the better part of my adult life. My, my relationship with credit has been a roller coaster at best because I got a Sears credit card when I was in junior college, when I was like 19 years old. And I think I got everything at Sears. I thought it was like a magic <laughs> wand. Like I could go and get anything I wanted. And I didn't even know they were gonna send a bill. No one had taught me anything about credit, how it worked, that there was a score, that there was anything. I just saw these people at a table who had a Sears credit cards that they were sort of giving away. And I ended up with this credit card and I just bought everything. And one day uh, when I stopped paying them, because I was in college, I didn't. I had a job from time to time to time, and it seemed like thirty dollars a month or whatever the bill was was manageable. But somehow my young mind didn't manage it, and I found out I had bad credit. And once I figured out what that was, this is shortly after the period when I came to Hollywood and um, started to work. I started to work on my credit, and I built up a really good credit score. And then everything went um, south during my divorce, and. Uh, that's where you came in. And I kept wanting, like, within two weeks to be back to where I was before, if not better. <laughs> uh, and that's not the way that it works. You have to really be patient. But within that patience, it's a weird thing when it comes to a character. All of the principles, seemingly, many of them, I won't say all, many, seemingly many of the principles of life with coming, how can I say, uh, coming correct with yourself, being true to yourself, paying your bills on time, those types of things. If you do those things over time, things get better. But you just have to have the patience and the stick to itness. And you would always say, you would always, and it, it's like a big sister. You would come, no, Rodney, it's that not yet. You have to give it more time. And I would be mad, why? Why do I have to give it more time? I want it now. I want what I had. And the more patience I had, and I would put my mind on other things and, and you know, good things instead of my wants, I would look in four or five months better, things were better, and then it would continuously get better. And I bought my daughter a car, and I thought about you. I bought my daughter a car two weeks ago, and when I was at the dealership, the guy asked about my credit, because I guess a lot of people had bad credit, certainly during COVID. Right. And he said, man, You've got a great credit score. You could get anything in here you wanted. You could get this whole business if you wanted. And I thought about nice. you immediately. I thought about you immediately. Oh. And all of our conversations and, you know, my appreciation of you and, and your good work and helping me restore. I, I think it's culturally, you don't really think about money when you don't have it. You don't think about credit when you when you're trying to survive. You yeah. don't, the two don't, and I don't come from, you know, my family didn't have much. And so never really took credit and no one ever talked to me about it. No one ever even considered it. We never had anything. Yeah. And so, you know, when you leapfrog into this life that I'm in, where I have a few things and you see how important credit is, not just for the things that I want or to make life simpler, but for business, Yes. the things that I need. And, you know, my kids, my this, my that's a very vital component to financial health. And Absolutely. When yeah. you don't have it, you know, it's almost like either you have to make a lot of money to be able to pay for all of these things. But there was something in that gap of me having to pay for 
pay cash for everything that you, I started to look at some of the things that I used to buy as not necessary now. Yes. Now that I'm starting to build it back, it was like, do I really need this? Mm-hmm. Why was I doing this? Mm-hmm. And I have to be more thoughtful with how I purchase things, travel, do different things. You know, I still want it to be the way that it was. That's a hint. That means I'm going to call you in a week and bug you. But (laughs) I've learned that maturity when it comes to decisions, it's funny just how much money and life sort of walk together. Yes. Um, And credit certainly is a a major component of that. So always thank you for your help with me. But I think for anyone who's listening to this, the more you can be aware of your emotional circumstances and how they affect your credit and your life and to try to keep all of those things healthy. Well, they say that your credit equals your behavioral patterns. Yes, 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 yes. And I think corporations now, as we move into more of a corporatized controlled society, Mm -hmm. things like credit become markers for psychological patterns, how people think, whether or not you have the ability to be mature enough to handle, uh, you know, half a million dollar home or a million dollar home or whatever your goal is, you know, your ability to manage that often is reflective in your credit scores and, you know, how much you have in the bank at a given time that you don't spend frivolously and all of those things. And like I said, no one had ever talked to me about that. I've had to learn things the hard way. Yeah. You know, fortunately, I, I would say a virtue is once I get it, you know, I, I go with the plan. But the pain of getting it, if there's anyone who could avoid the pitfall yeah. and not have to learn from the mistake and just learn from the advice and the information that you provide... To me, that's sort of the way to go. Well, that's my goal. You know, my goal and my heart is really to teach um, the youth Mm -hmm. and to teach people that have never been taught. Because believe it or not, you know, I talk to all kinds of people, even very wealthy people who are, you know, sons and daughters of very wealthy people that have never been taught. You know, we we live in these two income homes where uh, parents are busy and they don't have time to sit down with their children and explain this stuff. And I can tell you that the gift of financial literacy and credit literacy is one of the best gifts that we can give our children and our grandchildren. It is super important because your credit is an investment tool to build wealth. And yeah. You, yeah. No, I, I just wish instead of trigonometry and calculus, sometimes financial literacy would be something well, it's that was coming. taught in school. Yeah, I it's coming. Some of the private it. schools are doing it. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. No one taught me about how to do my taxes or any of those, how to manage a checkbook or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, now so you you talked a lot about that, but you know now that you know about credit. Okay, or the credit world, what would you want to pass on to the youth about the importance of a good credit score? Like, what's the one thing that you would tell someone? Mm, To protect it, um, to look at it as a valuable tool in your toolbox. It's almost Mm -hmm. like a hammer. It's one of those things that you don't think you'll need it in the way, like my kids, you know, my kids look at stuff. As soon as they get money, they want a thing. And mm-hmm. they identify with that. They don't identify it with 
security, like insurance. If they need something that isn't a tangible, a pair of Jordans or, you know, something like that. But if they need something for school, if they need something for life, if they need something going down the road to always be able to have the security and the peace of mind to know that, you know, financially they're healthy and that they don't always need to come to me. That sense of independence to me builds confidence and self-esteem. Mm, um, certainly that I good. didn't have. And again, the, the the way that psychologically and emotionally these two money, credit scores, all of these things are related. Your ability to take care of yourself to me is a major component in you being able to look at yourself in a positive way. Yes. You know, it's one thing to be able to look to a parent, but I think as long as you're looking to a parent to save you, you're almost thinking like a child. It's like you never get that ability to feel confident enough to go out in the world because all you have is their ability to watch over you the way like when you're a kid. But when you have the ability to take care of yourself, I think it fires, it, it moves you closer to your dreams. It gets Absolutely. you to a place where anything is possible because I know I can take care of myself if I don't get the best of news or if it takes longer than I thought it was going to be or whatever. I look at guys like Spike Lee, who did his first film and Robert Townsend who did their first films off credit cards. You right. know, they had a bunch of credit cards and they figured out how to make their first film. If they didn't have credit cards, you know, right. they only have the relationships that they have from people who they can come to. So yeah, your ability to be creative fiscally really comes down to how you've managed your life up until that point. So absolutely, that would be my advice. That is really, really, really good advice because, you know, I've had people say to me, you know, I feel naked or I feel so ashamed. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying that confidence, like even that story you talked about, you know, going into the dealership with your daughter, I mean, being able to walk in with confidence, knowing there's not going to be an issue here. I was was (laughs) like an action. I was like an action uh, hero when I walked in. Right. There'd be times, there would be times before where I would call you and say, you know, I'm about to buy a <laughs> pair of pants. Do you think it's okay if I get these pants? And then I'm holding on, hoping you give me a good answer. <laughs> I walked in and I had a strut and my daughter was nervous. Daddy, do you think, baby, don't worry about it. I got it. And <laughs> I walked in like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I That's sat at the right. table and just, baby, get what you want. That's and right. That's amazing. And that feels good, right? Yes. Yeah, that one felt incredible. So my last question for you is, Yes. so what is your credit score? Oh, my God. I think it was 832 or something like that was Woo! what he said to me. And Did you I was hear that? Because Did you, you hear that, friend? He time... said his score was over 800. What? And I think it was the when you had talked to me like six months ago, it was like 760 80. or it was 786. All right, there you see, there you go. And then when he said eight something, all I heard was the eight. So he could have said eight oh eight point oh five or something. But yeah, it was in the eights. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations on your success. And friends, you've heard it here. This is A to the N to the G. You're listening to The Real Credit Queen Show. And Rodney, thank you so much for showing up to the show. I really appreciate you. And it was such an honor and a privilege to have you here today. Anything for you. And you're welcome.